The following is Nature of Business with Chrissy Coughlin in association with GreenBiz.com. This is Nature of Business, and I'm your host, Chrissy Coughlin. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we are excited for the second half of Nature of Business. We have a real luminary in the uh, organics management field with us today. Paul Salou is the CEO of Harvest Power. He has been in the organics industry for more than 25 years. And in 1982, he founded EarthGrow, Inc., which grew to be the second largest producer of compost-based lawn and garden products in North America. He's also founded in led International Process Systems Incorporated, Allegro, Environmental Credit Corp. He's basically done a lot. And he also graduated from Cornell uh, College of Agriculture and Life Sciences. And he is the CEO of Harvest Power. Welcome, Paul. Welcome, Chrissy. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm very, very happy to have you back. This is good. There's lots, lots, and lots going on. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to hear the latest and greatest. Let's, um, let's start off with you. Tell, tell me a little bit. I know I just gave a, a real quick overview of, of what you've done. What has led you to your current position now at Harvest Power? Well, I mean, first off, it probably have to go back. I mean, I, I come from a farm family in Connecticut. Uh, my brother, Mark, <clears throat> currently runs it. It's called Pride's Corner Farms. We're one of the larger growers of, uh, of ornamental plants, uh, all different types of plants that you grow outside your home and, and, uh, and decorate our landscape. So I think having, you know, an agricultural background, it was, it was great training because so many of the things you have to deal with as running an agriculture enterprise deal with the, the larger issues and including the environment. So, you know, from there, I was one of the early pioneers in, uh, in composting and had done it at a commercial scale. I built a company called EarthGrow and we uh, were one of the you know, early, early companies out uh, turning these, or, you know, organic waste materials into valuable organic fertilizers and mulches and, and organic soil amendments. And, and that just gave me a, an appreciation for what an unbelievable product a well-made compost is as far as not only in a professional growing uh, environment like Pride's Corner, but also for a home gardener or for somebody who's involved with uh, field agriculture as well. And that led to a number of other businesses that uh, I was involved with building and, uh, and creating, uh, which has led me to, to Harvest Power, where in addition to everything that I did at EarthGrow, which was around making great products out of these organic waste materials, now at Harvest, we're also making renewable energy as well using a technology called anaerobic digestion. So let's talk a little bit about anaerobic digestion. It's a... Uh... It's something that we, we touched upon the last time you were on the show, uh, and we used the image, of course, of the cow, which I love. Can you tell our audience a little bit more about, about the process of anaerobic digestion? Well, I mean, the scientists call it biomimicry, and where you can take a process that nature has already perfected, and they perfected anaerobic digestion, you know, in the stomach of ruminants, and including cows, as you mentioned. So we're taking that basic biological process, and that's a key component of anaerobic digestion. It is a biological-driven process, and we're feeding it with uh, organic waste materials, uh, food waste, uh, yard waste, uh, other types of organic materials. 
and then they literally are digested in an airtight, gas-tight chamber. And then the metabolic byproducts of these organisms are what they call biogas. And that biogas can be up to 70 75% methane, and the balance being CO2. And, of course, methane is natural gas. So then the ability to take this biogas and either um, convert it into electricity and thermal energy through using it as a fuel for a combined heat and power engine gen set, stripping off the CO2 and making it to an identical product of natural gas, we call it biomethane. And then once you're at that point, you can also compress it. Now you've got CNG, compressed natural gas, which is a transportation fuel. So it's, uh, it's basically uh, a very flexible uh, uh, type of energy source. And of course, it's made from materials that many times were being disposed of at a landfill or being burned at a you know at an incineration facility. So you repurpose these materials, you create renewable energy, and then the residual from this process is processed further into either a organic fertilizer or compost-based soil amendment. So all that organic matter and those nutrients then are put back on the land. And I think uh, it's a great example of clean tech and sustainability. That's great. I, I was just going to say, you are a clean, you really are a clean tech company in, in the true definition. And when we spoke last, um, you had a lot going on. And I know that there's, there's a lot of, a lot more going on with the company and in your growth. Give our listeners an idea of, of where you're headed right now with this. Well, we, we started uh, Harvest Power in the fourth quarter of 2008. And as you recall, uh, that was not really, you know, a, uh, a time in our economy where there was a lot of optimism. It was on the heels of some big failures in Wall Street. And, you know, these were rippling through the global economy. But in hindsight, it turned out to be a great time to start a company. And so we've been... We basically have been, you know, flat out building our business. And, and when you talk about clean tech, right, I think people, the way I define it is that, you know, a clean technology should basically improve from a productivity standpoint some type of process. It should also lessen the use of fossil fuels. And then most importantly, it should lower cost. And so I think what we're doing at Harvest with our, our technologies and what we're doing is that, we basically are improving the uses of these organic materials. Many of them are being landfilled or incinerated. We're basically uh, doing it at a lower cost because we're doing it lower, lower than the cost of the landfill. And then we're also producing renewable energy versus consuming fossil fuel-based energy. So I think we're a great example of a clean technology company, but with an emphasis on lowering costs, which I think uh, sometimes you can, you can forget about in, this whole, uh, in that whole analysis. But the company is going great. We've got now operations throughout the northeast, mid-Atlantic of the U.S., uh, soon to be Florida, uh, Ontario province in Canada, British Columbia province in Canada, and then uh, and then California. So, you know, we're really we're really growing, and it's it's great to see. That's that's terrific. Now let, let's talk about the infrastructure in the U.S. I know this is a big deal because it, it is it hasn't been replicated, such as in like con- countries such as Germany or Denmark, Sweden. How how is that affecting 
the actual messaging of this, of, of, of what you do to the average consumer? Well, there's a lot of confusion because when you talk about, um, you know, renewable energy from organics, uh, you know, and then people envision a big smokestack and an incinerator. <laughs> and of course, you know, we're, we're the completely opposite of that. We right. basically are using a biological process and we need to have clean materials coming in. I mean, we, we believe strongly in source separation of these organic materials. And again, you look at the EPA pie chart around uh, municipal solid waste. If you look at leaves, grass, brush, and food leftovers, you're talking 25 to 30 percent of what we call garbage. I mean, wow. and to me, I don't really view that as garbage. I view those as materials that should be separated out of the rest of the waste stream collected and then further processed in what Harvest is doing to produce renewable energy and valuable fertilizer and soil products. So um, I think communities have to embrace the separation of these materials. And in defense of these communities, you need to have the infrastructure in place you know, at your community as well. You just can't legislate something and then not have basically the infrastructure in place to deal with it. And I think legislation that recently passed in Connecticut is really intelligent. They basically said that if there is a organics processing facility to, that is permitted by the state to accept organic food residuals, then within a certain mile radius, all food waste generators are bound to send their materials to that facility. So I think that's the kind of intelligent policy that will really help. And at the same time, not, not, not require a mandate without the ability to follow through on that mandate because of a lack of infrastructure. Right. So how is that working then across the country? Connecticut is obviously a very good example. But how, how do you find this throughout the entire country in terms of, let's say, dividing the country west, mid, mid-country, east? What are we seeing are the differences with, with regard to to this business process. Where the source separation um, of, uh, of organics, so where they're, it's, it's the biggest movement in, in North America right now, or let me break it down into the United States, it's more on the West Coast it's occurring. Um, mm-hmm. Cities like San Francisco, like Seattle, and a number of other smaller communities have adopted source separation. Um, it's still the exception to the rule here in the Northeast, but I think it's coming. So, and in Canada, um, it's, uh, it's already in place in Ontario, um, in particular around Toronto, and then it's in place now just recently in Vancouver, which is the big, obviously, West Coast uh, Canadian city. So I think it's happening. Uh, it's happening in, in certain areas first, and that's normal because not everyone is going to do it at once. And so you end up having, you know, outliers, early ad- adapters that do it. And then from there, you know, other communities see that it's successful, that it's working, that you're lowering cost and all those things, and they, they then adopt it. So it's growing rapidly, source separation, which is a good trend on an annual basis. And I think, uh, you know, that's going to be important as Harvest Power rolls out our capabilities because we need to have uh, the source separation in place so we can get the feedstock, the organic materials that we need to, to feed our, our process. How is a company like this? This is making me think about somebody like, as such as, as waste management. How, how, how are they? Do you ever 
have conversations with that? I know that they, they are, they know about you, but how, how does that work with the, the companies that come and pick up our garbage every day, you know, on a Thursday in my house, how, how does, how does your business fit in with the actual companies that are out there gathering waste in general? Waste management, that's a good company. I mean, they do a good job, but um, they, uh, they're going to basically manage the entire waste stream, right? Where uh, Harvest Power is focused on the organics. So uh, we work with, with waste management at some of our locations where they basically are a supplier of organics, you know, into a harvest facility. And from their standpoint, you know, if, the, if the policy is in place to say, okay, you have to recycle these organics and you can't bring them to a landfill, you can't bring them to an incinerator, well, then they'll follow that policy. So mm-hmm. from their standpoint, they are overall responsible for seeing that, you know, that it goes away, so to speak. But if there is policy in a particular city, state, or region that basically says these materials have to be recycled, well, then they basically will comply with that. And that's already in place right now on yard, yard waste, like leaves, grass, and brush. About two-thirds of the states uh, in the United States are banning those materials from going into a landfill or incinerator. So, therefore, that, that policy requires then an alternative management practice for those materials. And in many cases, we're open to working with the waste management of the world, including the company waste management, as a supplier of material into our, into our facilities. Are there any other partnerships that you've developed recently or in the past year that have really helped drive behavioral change at the consumer level and the corporate level? Well, when you look at uh, anaerobic digestion, composting is fairly well-known and practiced throughout North America, uh, but anaerobic digestion is, is relatively new. It's being done at certain wastewater treatment plants. You hear an occasional farm digester being built, but uh, taking on municipal organics like food waste and yard waste, we actually are building some of the first facilities of those types in North America right now. And one is at our our Fraser Richmond operation in Richmond, British Columbia. We're building another large facility up that side of Toronto, Canada. We also recently, you know, uh, signed a contract to build a facility in Florida. So I think I think the public is going to want to see these facilities work well, provide the sort of intended benefits that um, that that they will, and then from there, once that is firmly demonstrated, then in turn, I think this will be the standard practice. And I went through this with composting. What happened is that, you know, not all states at once said that yard waste is banned and you have to do it. It happened over time. The compost infrastructure built out, and now you've got a very successful uh, organics recycling program in place in many states around the country. And I think that same model of having that happen over a 10 or 15 year period, I think we're now seeing the beginning stages of this with food, food residuals. And I think anaerobic digestion will be the technology of choice for them for that type of material because very, very high calorific energy rich material. So it just, things take time. But I mean, Harvest is the first mover and we're the leader in the space right now. And we, we hope to maintain that leadership position. 
Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned, definitely mentioned in the last show that it's a, it's a relatively, that anaerobic digestion is relatively nascent in the U.S. And you are leading the charge on this. From when we spoke a, a little over a year ago to now, has the, how much would you say the needle has been moved in that short time? Well, we will be starting up our facilities this summer our anaerobic digester facility. So um, I think, again, to my earlier point, people are going to want to kick the tires. To say you have to go to Europe and to Germany to see these things in operation, people's eyes glaze over because they want to see it working here in North America. And so um, I understand that, and that's that's normal, and we're going to be going through that process. But to put it into perspective, uh, Chrissy, Last year in Germany, they built over 1,000 anaerobic digestion facilities, over 1,000. They have over 7,000 of them operating right now. So that's a country that is, um, you know, about a third of the population, about a fourth of the GDP as, as the United States, but they basically have embraced this technology. So we're at the beginning stages in North America. They'll see it work in North America. And I think we will eventually follow the German model here. So when a thousand in a year is remarkable. And are these all, I'm trying to get a visual here because it is such a, it's such a small, much, much smaller country. Are these, these can't be all really large digesters are we talking in in small little small towns each town it has i can sort of picture this like a mountainous town in germany having an anaerobic digester as part it's sort of a fabric of the community and everything goes there and it's just understood and the behavioral change has already taken place is that what's yeah. going on okay yeah i mean i think um you know us in the in the energy business we're in the renewable energy business uh it's something called distributed energy and so if you look at a large coal plant, that is not distributed energy. That is one big plant. And then you distribute the electricity from this huge plant through the power lines. Distributed energy is the opposite. It's a bunch of smaller facilities that are built around where actually people consume the energy. And so it makes the electrical grid more efficient. And then from a logistics standpoint, these organic materials that we use as as feedstock for our digesters, they are generated locally. So instead of having to transport them long distances to distant landfills or, or other ultimate disposal sites, these then are recycled within the community. And you have the benefit then of basically you know, lesser transportation costs, lower costs for the generators, distributed energy produced with, with, with the area of the grid where they use the energy, making the grid more uh, efficient, electric grid more efficient, and then also having the resulting fertilizer and soil and mulch products that can be used within that same footprint that generated the organic materials, that, that the digester. That's the model in Germany. And in addition to, you know, many of these plants also are dealing with agricultural residuals, including corn and, and manure from farms. So many of them are being built out in rural Germany as well. And ironically, we have adopted corn ethanol, um, in this country, and, and the Germans study this, and this is well known, that you know, per acre of corn, you produce three times the energy if you use that corn in an anaerobic digester than if you took the corn kernels to make ethanol, which we do in this country. So the Germans basically don't have a corn ethanol industry. They have an anaerobic digestion you know, industry that is processing these materials 
that are generated in rural Germany and then also the organic materials that are generated as part of the human society, which is the food, food and, and yard waste materials as well. It's amazing. It definitely, when I, when I listen to you speak about this, it seems so logical and so re replicable. Composting has come a long way, obviously, in 25 years, you know, the past 25 years. I think that you mentioned there was something 300 composting facilities, and now they're up to 4,500 commercially run composting facilities. How many, how many anaerobic digested plants do you foresee, let's say, in the next 10 to 15 years in this country? Well, that's a great question, and 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 I think if you you look at where we're starting now, the majority of anaerobic digestion plants are at wastewater treatment facilities. I think there's a, probably about a little over 400 of them, and then farm digesters uh, a little over 100, and then some you know food processors and industrial applications maybe another hundred. So, I mean, we're talking you know literally less than 10 percent of what. Germany has in place right now, and they're at a growth trajectory that is far in excess of, of the United States. So I go back to people want to see it work here. Once they see it work here well and they understand that, wow, this really is a benefit to my community, I think people say, I want one. And just as you mentioned, Chrissy, you know, when I got started in composting in the early 80s, there was a couple, 300 of us. Now there's you know 4,500 to 5,000. I think you'll see a similar growth trajectory uh, as we'll see as we saw in composting. But it's going to happen, and then it's going to there's going to reach an inflection point, and people are going to say this is the way to manage these high moisture organic materials. Because I think anaerobic digestion, in combination with composting, are the two technologies that are that are out there that that are the best and most efficient in managing higher moisture organic materials. Mm -hmm. How much is the, I'm just thinking about the average person, the average consumer out there, how much are they involved in this, in this growth process? In Germany, let's say, when you have a thousand anaerobic digestive plants, uh, digester plants grow, popping up in, in one country in, in, in a year, how much of that has been driven by the actual consumers who are saying, we, you just mentioned, we want one, we want one. Are they really getting in there and saying, we demand this? Well, that's, a, that's another very interesting question, because if you look at Germany, who I think is probably, uh, from my view anyway, probably the most advanced uh, modern country in the world around sort of renewable energy and having embracing it as something that they are really behind as a country, uh, and so as a result, in addition to these anaerobic digestion facilities, Germany has embraced solar and they've embraced wind. And so when you talk to most people about renewable energy, they'll basically say, yeah, solar and wind. I mean, that's what most people will say. But actually, if you look at the data in Germany through 2011, they have the largest photovoltaic installed base in the world. That's sunlight to electricity through a photovoltaic panel. They've got the fourth largest installed wind base in the world. And so if you add up all the energy from the solar and wind installations in Germany, which are significant, you have to multiply that times three to, de to, de to determine how much renewable energy is made from organic materials in Germany. Through wow. the biogas plants, the anaerobic digestion plants, and through other, other uses of, of organic materials as well. So most people don't really understand that organics is a significant source of renewable energy. It's a significant source, but because it's very distributed, 
people might not understand just how significant a source it can be. And I think it's going to happen in the United States. I've seen this time and again on other sort of initiatives that have been adopted in Europe and were a little bit behind because they've had to deal with tougher regulations, greater population density than we've had over here in the United States. But we get there. And when we get there, I mean, we'll, it'll, it'll, be, a, it'll be a great thing. Mm, it's very, it's so exciting. Let's talk about your the video series that you're about to to launch. Uh, it's it was uh, very exciting. I did have a role in it, but it's um it's something that was. Uh, Part of this behavioral change and, it, and discussing the next generation, you know, organics management and our relationship with organics in modern society. Tell us a little bit about the video series. Well, thanks for, for your help in that, Chrissy. But uh, we, we were able to attract, I think, some really interesting people that had a unique perspective around this. And many of them came at it from a different, from a different place. But the net net was that they all viewed that organics recycling, next generation organics management, what Harvest is all about as a company is, is ultimately going to be a really good thing. And so, you know, we had people such as Carol Browner, who was former EPA secretary, um, former member of, uh, of, the, of the Obama White House, Ian Bowles, who was secretary of energy and environment in Massachusetts. And then we had big time California Central Valley farmers. And then we had more New England you know, organic, small-scale organic farmers, right? And Pat Raschuti and Elliot Coleman, uh, Annie Leonard, and I would call her an environmental activist, uh, the, the story <laughs> of stuff. She really did a great job articulating that. Jonathan Bloom, author of American Wasteland. You know, there's a number of different perspectives, but people came to the same point that it's, it's efficient, it's lower cost, it's the right thing to do, and it's good, and you get great results with it. And I, I particularly like the farmers that we that we spoke to and, and how, how articulate they were around what really great compost does to their soils and how it impacts their yield and the health of their crops and the and ultimately the food that we eat. So there's just so many benefits uh, of lowering the cost of, of producing renewable energy and producing high value compost based products that um, I, I think this this whole video series is really gonna show just all the different people that are involved with this and why it ultimately makes sense. I think what you're doing is great, Paul, and I'm 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 thrilled to have you back on the show. <laughs> great. It, uh, so I think we're going to wrap up. But is there anything is there anything that that our audience needs to know, sort of that's coming down the pike or something new and different happening at Harvest that we should be looking for? Well, I, I think ultimately, I mean, we have a concept at Harvest called Power of We, because when we come into a community. It's not like, okay, we're in town and, you know, that's it. You need to have the stakeholders involved. I mean, we as citizens, we generate, you know, food residuals, right? And people should understand that there's better and higher uses for those materials. We consume energy. You know, we, we need soil to produce crops and, our, and to support our landscape. So, I mean, for us, um, you know, it's great that, you know, you have shows like yours, like yours, Chrissy, where people can understand that there's a bigger picture here and they're part of the infrastructure. And, and as, as people understand that, you know, what they might think of or might not think of, but it's just waste that they generate, that actually that's a, you know, that, that can be repurposed and, and, and build stronger communities, you know, at the same time, which I think is, is really important. And, uh, 
And that's something as we continue our growth and development, we're very focused around what we do. It has to be done well at a local level. And that's how, you know, we will be judged ultimately as, um, you know, as, as a company. Oh, it's fabulous. Well, thank you for your time. I do appreciate it. And I, I know our audience has learned, learned quite a bit. And I'll make sure to, to keep them po- posted on the latest and greatest that's going on with Harvest. And, and, and I'm thrilled to have you, Paul. Great. Chrissy, thank you for having me. Have a great rest of your day. All right. You too. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. The proceeding has been Nature of Business with Chrissy Coughlin in association with GreenBiz.com. 